When we come up with a product concept, we always ask this question here internally. We always ask, why Garmin? Why is somebody going to buy this over our competitors? There's got to be a good why Garmin before we ever do anything. That mentality is ingrained in everybody. If you don't have a why Garmin, then why are we even proposing? Why are we even making this? So when I go and pitch another idea for, say, the next generation golf watch, I can't just say, well, we're going to make this because we're Garmin and we had a lot of success with the last one. I have to come up with some benefit for the customer that is why they are going to buy this. Why is a customer going to go from our previous version to this one? Or why is a customer going to go from one of our competitors' products to this one? And so that mentality that we have of always trying to add benefit to our products and not just churn out a bunch of products that are kind of the same thing and put lipstick on it and say, it's good now. We are trying to add value to every time we do a new product. It's not just something our leadership says. At every level, we're always asking that question, why Garmin? Hey everyone, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Scott Moore, who is a product manager at Garmin International. On this episode, Scott is going to pull back the curtain on the design process Garmin follows to innovate and develop tech-enabled products for a multitude of sports consumers, with a focus today, though, on their golf division. Scott has been with Garmin for over 21 years, so I look forward to hearing his perspective on the progression of Garmin as a company and the products they have created over that time. So, hey, Scott, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Hi, Colin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited about this conversation here because being an architect and a design guy, I'd love to hear the internal workings at Garmin. So, hey, Scott, to kick things off here is a bit of an icebreaker. I read that you are a passionate golfer. So before we dig into all things design at Garmin, please share with us the moment you first won a golf club and what experience then hooked you on the game. Well, that's been a long time ago. I think I probably started playing golf when I was around 10 years old. My grandfather got me hooked on golf, really. I I spent my summers with my grandparents, and he would play golf every day with his buddies, and I would just ride along in the cart. He would throw down a ball for me to putt when we got to the green, and he would pay for lessons. And as I got better, we would drop a ball maybe 50 yards out from the green, and I would play from there. And I progressively got better and to the point where I could play with him and his friends from the tee box. And you know, he bought my first set of clubs and really taught me a lot about golf. But I think the thing that I learned the most from those summers was just how to have fun playing golf. It wasn't just about how well you played. It was just the camaraderie between him and his friends and stuff. I just really enjoyed that. And that's what I enjoy about playing golf today is just playing with friends. I could go have a bad round of golf today with friends and and still enjoy myself there. But if I go out and play by myself and I have a bad round, I feel like I just wasted my time. So really taught me how to enjoy playing golf. I love that. And for anybody that's just starting to pick up the game out there or needs to recalibrate their why and what inspires them for golf. So Scott, thanks for that, that insight there and the fact of why you play the game and why you've continued to follow it and enjoy it. So a question I like to ask my guests that have played the game for a while, have you ever got a hole in one? I have not got a hole in one. I'm still waiting for that day. Still waiting. How close have you? What's the closest you've ever come then? Within an inch or two. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. My dad plays golf as well, and he's gotten two hole in ones in his life. So it just frustrates me. Uh, golf. 
golf. That's what golf does. <laughs> That's why we keep playing. So I want to switch over to or kind of rewind the tape here a little bit to 21 years ago. I'd like to hear what your background was in college. And, and then I guess it was, if I do the math correctly, 21 years, I guess it was around 1999 when you started with Garmin. What was the first role that you had with Garmin International when you started there 21 years ago? My background is as computer science. I got a degree in computer science and Garmin is my first job out of college. So I started off there as a software engineer. Back then we had maybe a thousand employees. So we're a pretty small company. I developed software for a lot of different consumer electronics. I think my first product was a portable aviation device and I'm not a pilot. I didn't know anything about piloting. So it was kind of fun to learn how they use those tools to navigate. But I've done a lot of other things too, whether it's recreational, like hiking, GPS devices. I've worked a lot in the automotive space where probably, what, 15 years ago, everybody had one of those GPS navigation devices stuck to their windshield before everybody had navigation on their phones. I worked on those products. I've worked on cell phone products. So I've had a, a wide variety at Garmin, the products that I've been able to work on both as a software engineer, as a team leader or manager. I've even dabbled a little bit in, in user experience design, started building up user experience designers at Garmin, where we really took a customer first perspective on designing features. And then probably about six years ago, I transitioned into this product management role for golf. And we actually started golf products in 2009. So I wasn't involved in the very beginning of golf, but for the last six years, that's all I've been doing is golf. And it's been a lot of fun. Well, you just answered a couple of my next questions here. So you're saving me some time here. I was going to ask you when Garmin transitioned into the golf space. You, you nailed that for us. And I'm just well, I looking can go back here. and tell you more about that. Well, I, so I certainly want you to, of course. Uh, and I, I do see the fact now with the products that you offer, uh, the multitude of sports between running, cycling, fitness tracking, indoor training, swimming, diving, water sports, and of course, golf. So yeah, let, we're going to hyper-focus here because it is the Mod Golf Podcast talking about golf innovation. So we do want to focus on the products there. So what was the first golf product? that Garmin brought to market in 2009, 2010? It was called the Approach G5. And we had been making handheld navigation devices for hikers for a while. And so it was a natural extension of that. All we were missing was the golf maps. And so we decided that the best thing to do was to create those maps ourselves instead of trying to purchase them. And I feel like that's been one of our key advantages in this market is that we own and maintain our own map data for golf courses. But we basically converted over one of these handheld GPS devices into a golf rangefinder in 2009. Then a year later, we came out with our first golf watch. And that's really what started the GPS golf rangefinder business. I mean, that's what really took it off. People really liked having that on their wrist. And that's another product where we, we were doing running watches, like you said, prior to that. So we had these GPS running watches that tracked your pace and your distance. And we've married the golf stuff that we were doing in, in the handheld to the stuff we did on the watch and built a product from that. So that's really one of the advantages that Garmin has is because we work on so many different market segments, we have a lot of different technologies that we're working on and we can borrow from and we can look and say, well, what could we do with that technology in this market? And so that's where we get a lot of our innovation from. And that golf watch was a big thing for us. I mean, it really took off. 
I find this interesting because the insight I gather from your comments there is you have multiple teams working on different sports. And rather than having them siloed and competing for resources and almost competing against each other, as you get in a lot of organizations and corporate businesses, it sounds like you're freely sharing information and you are truly collaborating for the greater good of Garmin rather than hoarding information or tech or resources for your particular product segment. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's pretty fair. I mean, we do have different business segments and golf actually falls under what we call our outdoor business segment, which actually covers a lot of different products. And then we share a lot of information and technology with all the segments. So there's marine, aviation, automotive, and fitness as well. So there's a lot of overlap and that's encouraged to share not just resources, but ideas and stuff. Now, I don't know the history of this, so please help us out here. So when you first released your first golf watch, were there other competitors or products in market already? Or were you more doing kind of the iPhone type thing of what Steve Jobs would say? The customer doesn't know what they need or want until they experience it. So were you first in market there or were there others that you were then following and refining and iterating on to make a better experience and better product? I'm not 100% sure on the watch if we were first or not. I I think we might have been. Like I said, I wasn't involved in the golf stuff at that point, but I I believe it was the first. And to be honest, when I heard we were going to make a golf watch, I was a little skeptical because as a golfer, I never liked wearing a watch when I played golf. But once I used it, I understood the value. And now I can't imagine playing golf without it. It's become such a part of the game and, and it's become more than just getting the distance to the hole. It now tracks all these different things about the shot locations I took and the clubs that I was using. And I probably shouldn't even say this, but I did accidentally forget to take my watch with me the other day because I had put it on the charger before I was heading out and I forgot to take it with me. And I just did not enjoy that round of golf because I didn't have all that data with me. I knew it wasn't going to record it. I didn't have those distances to the pen anymore. And it was just kind of like a whole different game now. And so I think that's really what Garmin brings with our products is it adds more enjoyment to the game. It helps you out so it makes it easier for them but it also makes it more enjoyable nice so for our listeners a lot of them out there don't have the design background that that you and i have so uh, we we use certain terms and lingo and jargon that we get but uh, i want to explain a couple of things we talk about rapid prototyping or iterative design and you talked about user experience and human-centered design let's dig down in some of those things in the process that you have to develop a product from idea to actually getting it to market so let's start with one so can you tell our listeners what user experience design is and how that would apply to, let's say, the Approach S62 watch? Well, user experience design is really looking at how a user interacts or behaves in a certain environment. So in the case of golf, knowing how a golfer plays, what they do, what's their behavior, and figuring out what things they do that you can make more efficient or if they're having issues with certain things, looking for those kind of things. So for us in the user experience side, a lot of times ideas come up and we don't always know if it's going to be a great idea or not. And so some cases we have to prototype that and instead of going to a full implementation or full product development. And so we have user experience designers that will flesh that out on paper, build up rapid prototypes and do some user testing for us. And when you do user testing, do you do that in-house or do you actually bring in potential customers or previous customers for your products? We do a lot of it in-house. The nice thing right now, we have over 15,000 people working at Garmin right now. So we have a lot of golfers. 
It's not uncommon, though, that we will use people outside for testing. You know, we definitely get a different perspective from that. But a lot of the user experience type stuff we can do much quicker if we just use internal resources. Right, right. So expanding on that, people aren't familiar with the term of ergonomics and ergonomic design based around, once again, that human-centered design. Can you talk about that a little bit, just as far as, let's say, the watch on your wrist and how you would manipulate that on course or even with your laser range finders as far as how they fit in the hand? Can you talk about that a little bit, how you design it for human use? Yeah, we have another team, industrial design, that focuses on the ergonomics and the shape of the product and button sizes and stuff like that. So yeah, there's thought that goes into wearables like watches, where the buttons are. If you have got button product that has up-down buttons, you want those close to each other so that you can quickly transition your thumb between the two. The number of buttons that we need, that kind of is a mix between industrial design and user experience design, figuring out what interactions the watch or the device will need. Got it. Perhaps you could walk us through the experience since I haven't had the pleasure of actually having one of your devices on my wrist yet, but uh, it's my understanding that you are sending me an S62, which I will be testing and I will be creating a video for our Mod Golf YouTube channel as a review of me using my big fingers on that out of the course. So that's going to be out a couple of weeks after we release the podcast episode here. So yeah, I'm really curious to hear about where you and your design team look for inspiration. Is it through other products, other industries, or is it a combination of just the evolution of all the good things you've already done? Because it seems like you have a real entrepreneurial spirit that is embraced from the leadership down and you get that opportunity to experiment. So you know, tell us a little bit about that of where you look for uh, inspiration with your products. Well, ideas can come from all kinds of different places. One of the, the nice things that we have in the golf team right now is, is a lot of our engineers are golfers. And so when I'm proposing ideas, there's a lot of back and forth, like they'll get it right away or they'll add to that idea. What if we did it this way? And so having, having your engineers be passionate users as well can really increase the amount of effectiveness of your ideas and where you take a product. I play a lot of golf. Like I said, I golf every week. I run a, a golf league at, at Garmin. We've got like 32 players. We play every week. I'm talking to a lot of golfers on a, on a regular basis, and they're obviously giving me ideas. Even if I go out and play and I'll pair up with strangers, I usually tell them what I do, and I, I end up talking to them about ideas that they think would be great. And so there's a lot of external stuff like that. I also look at the competition. What are they bringing to the table now? Because without competition, you just get complacency. And so it's, it's good to see what they're doing. It's nice that when they are pushing us harder to, to get better as well. And then lastly, I, like I said before, I, I look at what we're doing in other business segments. Like what are other technologies that we're using elsewhere can we bring into golf? For example, we've done radar stuff in aviation and in marine. And then a few years ago, we even did a radar product in the fitness biking products. And so two years ago, we figured out how we can then bring radar into our GPS rangefinders as well. So it, it's just looking at that technology and trying to find a way to apply it to your products. Got it. No, thanks for that. And I did lose my train of thought earlier. The question I was going to ask when I was getting excited about the giveaway we're going to have in a couple of weeks time also with the S62 for our mod golfers, our listeners here. Can you walk me through the experience? Once I have the S62 on my wrist, I head to the golf course. What is the experience like for me, not only on the course, but the data that then I can use afterwards, post-engagement, post-round to then, I'm assuming you got the stats on after so many rounds 
importance of the game improvement of how many strokes it will knock off my handicap from just being able to uh, be more accurate with the data that we have. So walk us through the actual experience of using the S62 on my wrist before, during, and after a round. Yeah, so the S62 is our top-of-the-line golf watch, so it's going to have all the bells and whistles. But at, at the base level, it does what everybody wants it to do. It tells you how far you are to the green. And so when you get to the course, you're going to start a round. It's going to know where you're at because it looks at the GPS position, and so it starts you on that course. If you're starting on hole one, it's, it already knows that. And so you may not need it initially on your tee shot, but once you get closer, you just look down at your wrist, and it tells you all the information you need. It tells you your distance to the front, middle, and back of the hole. The other thing that's really cool is because we can detect that the player hit a shot we mark that location and so as you're walking to go find your ball you look down at your wrist and you'll see a distance and it shows you the distance how far you were from that shot and so when you get up to your ball you can see how far you drove it but the other thing that's useful about it is if you're like me and you have trouble finding your ball sometimes but you do know how far you hit your club you can look down and start seeing like okay now i'm in the right area at least to start looking so that's a really cool feature But one of the things that we try to do with all of our golf products is we don't want to distract from the game. We don't want the user to have to be fiddling with their watch the whole time. And so a lot of the information that you need is just on the wrist at a glance. You don't even have to interact with it. There are some additional features, though, like if you want to place the pin position, for instance, to get a little bit more accurate, like you know the pin position for the day is in the back of the green. You can move that pin position back there to get a little bit more accuracy if you need that. We also have the ability to look at what the wind speed and wind direction is, and so that's another button press away. We try to minimize the amount of work that the user has to do because that distracts from the game at that point if you have to fiddle with it. And so a lot of the game tracking stuff is automatic. We're tracking the location of every shot. And then when you're done with your round, you can upload that to our golf app afterwards and relive your round basically and see every shot you took and where you landed. And over time, we start to build up a history of your game. And then the S62 has a feature on there called Virtual Caddy that will actually use the data that it's collected. So it knows like what the shot dispersion area is for each of your clubs. And it looks at that along with what hazards are in play with that club and what the the size of the fairway is in that area. And it figures out the best sequence of clubs for you to use from your current location and offer you a suggestion on what club to use. Got it. Got it. So... I'm really curious to hear this. I don't know if you're able to glean this data from the outreach you've done with your users and your customers, but from the range of all your products here, from high end, as you mentioned here with the Approach S62, down to ones that are a bit more cost effective here as I'm scrolling through all your products. And wow, you got a lot of them here. 10 would be our entry level golf watch. Yeah. So I'm really curious to hear... As we always want to grow the game, evolve the game, expand the game, especially to communities and populations that are refusing golf or not into golf quite yet, whether it's women, younger people, more ethnically diverse populations, that big opportunity in golf. So I'm curious to hear, do you find that most of your products are being purchased by experienced golfers, low handicappers, or are you finding that some people that are just picking up the game are also buying your products where they've just started and they may be at that can't break 100 quite yet level? 
Yeah, it's a mix. I think from the data that we have from the scorecards that people have uploaded, our average score is double bogey. So we have a bunch of double bogey golfers, but we have golfers that are scratch golfers as well. So it's a wide range. I don't know exactly how it's all broken down, but we definitely have a lot of different golfers. I would say it's probably more avid golfers, people that are going to be playing more often as opposed to somebody who only plays maybe once or twice a year. Right, right. That does make sense. I'm going to put you on the spot here. You can answer this one or not. I'm going to go back to uh, talking about Steve Jobs and some Apple examples before. I'm old enough now, and I think you are too. Also here, Scott, that products that were maybe too early for the market didn't quite connect. I'm going to go back to Apple with the Apple Newton. Many people may not know what that is. One of those early touchpad, almost like the precursor to the iPad decade, decade and a half earlier. And that was ultimately a financial and market failure. So I got to ask you this, are there any products at Garmin, both in the golf space or any other that weren't a success, but served as a foundation for subsequent products that did later resonate with consumers? Absolutely. You don't always get it right the first time. But one of the things that we do at Garmin is if we see that there's still potential in that market, we don't just give up on it. And I don't think it's happened so much in the golf space, but another one of our product lines is called the Phoenix. It's a really popular multi-sport watch. And the first generation of that product did not do very well. A lot of the reasons had to do with the design of the watch itself. The interface was clunky and it didn't quite nail the focus of it downright. It was like originally this watch designed for hikers. But in our second generation, we cleaned a lot of that up, changed the focus to more activity focus. So people that do cross-country running, swimming, and it's just taken off since then. And it's one of our best product lines we've had. Interesting. So I love this, the fact that it sounds like at Garmin from that leadership level, that it's like a startup. If you fail fast and then use those learnings then to move forward in other areas for success rather than the team or individuals being penalized and have that pinned on them as as something that's detrimental to their career. It sounds like you really embrace learning from things that didn't work out rather than having a negative connotation on the team and the designers. Yeah, absolutely. That's good stuff. No, I'd love to hear that. So, hey, I'm going to finish up quickly here with you, Scott. So before we do go, can you tell us a little bit about the culture at Garmin and what you've experienced since you've been there? As I said, I don't want to keep aging you here, but you've been there for over 20, <laughs> 20 years. I'm sure there's been this consistent culture that's always maintained as you've gone from 1,000, as you said, I think, to now 15,000 employees. So a 15x scale up. And it's so difficult for a company to maintain your why and your guiding light of what it is that you do and why you do it. Perhaps you can share that with us as far as what the overall vision that everybody holds on to at Garmin during the good times and the, and the bad times that comes down from the leadership that forges the culture at Garmin. Well, it does start with our our leadership and it's a culture of innovation and we're always looking for new ideas. When we come up with a product concept, we always ask this question here internally. We always ask, why Garmin? Why is somebody going to buy this over our competitors? There's got to be a good why Garmin before we ever do anything. And so that mentality is kind of ingrained in everybody. What's the why Garmin on this? If you don't have a why Garmin, then why are we even proposing? Why are we even making this? So when when I go and pitch another idea for, say, the next generation golf watch, I can't just say, well, we're going to make this because we're Garmin and we had a lot of success with the last one. I have to come up with some good benefit for the customer that is why they are going to buy this. Why is a customer going to go from our previous 
version to this one? Or why is a customer going to go from one of our competitors' products to this one? And so that mentality that we have of always trying to add benefit to our products and not just churn out a bunch of products that are kind of the same thing and put lipstick on it and say, it's good now. We, we actually are trying to add value to every time we do a new product. And so that's the question we always ask. And so it's not just something our leadership says. At every level, we're always asking that question, why Garmin? I love the fact you use the word why there. I've quoted Simon Sinek many times on the podcast here, and everybody hasn't seen his YouTube videos, TEDx talk from about 10 years ago, the power of why. It's not what we do, but why we do it. And it sounds like you embrace that at Garmin through what you said, why Garmin? It's right there, burned into your DNA. So to finish up here, Scott, I want you to crystal ball gaze a little bit in the future. I know with product development, there's only so much you can reveal here, but I'm really curious since on the podcast, I've talked to people about virtual reality, mixed reality, augmented reality, and how that forms and shapes golf products and experiences. Also with big data, artificial intelligence, and all those things coming together, it seems to me with the products that you bring to market, you're just scratching the surface on what that next evolution could be. So do you have, I don't know if you want to call it a skunk works or a team that looks at where we're going to be in five years, to see all these other technology to start to tinker and experiment with all these things for your next generation of products and what could work out? Maybe you can give us some insights the best that you can of those things that I mentioned and how that could possibly apply to Garmin products in the future. Yeah, yeah, we do. We have a group, we call it Area 51. Um, <laughs> and, and that was actually one of my previous roles as a product architect was in Area 51. And what the goal of that group is that they're trying to look for new opportunities in markets that necessarily we don't serve currently. But they also look at technologies that and try to apply them to our current market segments. And, and golf has benefited a lot from that. Like one of the examples is our, our laser rangefinder. That product kind of started from Area 51, an idea, and they were playing around with augmented reality and threw out this idea, like, what if we did augmented reality in a laser rangefinder? And laser rangefinders were as a market that Garmin hadn't been involved in yet. We had just been focused on the GPS rangefinder side, and we'd been trying to figure out what the why Garmin is for us to get into that market. And so they threw this idea over to us, and we looked at it. And in the end, we didn't end up with something that was augmented reality per se, but we ended up with something that's totally different than any laser rangefinder out there in the market. So a typical laser rangefinder, you're looking through a telescope, right, at your flag. And in our product, you're looking through a camera that displays that view on a, a micro display that you're looking at. And what that does for us is it allows us to overlay our mapping data as you're looking at that flag. So when you're looking at that, you see the course as you're ranging the flag. And then when you laser it and you get your distance, the map zooms in on the green and you get an arc that shows you where that flag is on the green. So that whole skunk work team, the Area 51 team, started with a pie in the sky idea of augmented reality, but then we boiled it down into something more practical that we could use in the golf space and created a, a product that, like I said, no one else makes anything like it at all. It's totally unique. I'm so glad I asked that question. Otherwise, I would have never known that you had an Area 51 there within, <laughs> within Garmin. See, that would have... We wouldn't have heard that at all. I think that was one of the most awesome things you actually talked about there. <laughs> and you were part of that team. That's really good stuff. So, hey, we're going to finish up here, Scott, because you and I now are going to jump on a Zoom video call because we're going to have a extended conversation some different questions, different conversation that then we will post on our YouTube channel. So if listeners really enjoyed this conversation, you can jump on our Mod Golf YouTube channel where Scott and I will be talking about some other things there in regards to Garmin, golf, innovation, entrepreneurship, 
all those good things. Before I finish up here, I did want to mention again, as uh, we talked about, that's why I got really excited and got my train of thought there, is the Garmin team is going to send me an approach S62, which I am then going to do a video review of and have on our YouTube channel. And then from there, we are going to launch our Garmin giveaway, what we call hashtag mod golf giveaways. And we're going to be giving away, I believe, an approach X62 to a lucky listener and viewer, you could say. So details to come on that. But hey, I wanted to finish up here and say, Scott, this has been amazing. So Scott Moore, product manager at Garmin International. Scott, thanks for all the insights and telling us what's going on at Garmin and how you go about designing the good things that you design. Sure. It was a pleasure, Colin. Good stuff. All right. You take care. Have a great day. All right. Bye. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Scott Moore, who is a golf product manager at Garmin International. If you'd like to learn more about Scott, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and additional content. Speaking of additional content, I invite you to check out the bonus Zoom video interview Scott and I recorded that is posted on the Mod Golf YouTube channel. The video link is also on the episode show page. And please subscribe to our Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is Charles Dillahunt, PGA of America's strategic adjunct to the CEO and the CPO. And we'll talk about vendor match and how golf can become more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. Our friends at Golf Genius Software have added a new digital scorecard option to the live scoring capabilities of its tournament management platform. So if you're a golf course owner or operator, I suggest you check out www.golfgenius.com to find out how they can help you create less work, more fun, and more revenue. We are also launching a bunch of golf product giveaways for the next couple of months, starting with some beautiful, high-performing Edison wedges. To enter, simply sign up to our newsletter at www.mod.golf. Follow us on either Twitter, Instagram, our LinkedIn page, or our YouTube channel and reply stating, Enter me to win an Edison wedge. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.